The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Good Morning New York. It is my pleasure, as always, to be here. I am your host, Vince Rocco, and we are coming to you live today, as usual, from Blastoff Studios here in Times Square. A new bill was introduced in city council and it's aiming to spook illegal Airbnb hosts with fines that are 10 times the old ones. Under the proposal introduced last Wednesday by council members, fines for first-time offenders determined to be operating illegal hotels would skyrocket from $1,000 to $10,000 in fines with a maximum penalty of $50,000, this according to CBS in New York. Wow. It is believed that the current threat of a $1,000 fine is ineffective in deterring hosts from operating illegally. I have a major bone to pick with Airbnb anyway. Gary Barnett's Extel Development Corporation launched sales Thursday at its new two-tower residential development in Hudson Square. The 92 apartments, one to four-bedroom units, including three penthouses, will range from $1 million to roughly $12 million. The director of sales for the project told The Real Deal this week, the project is among the first residential buildings in the area since it was rezoned in 2013. Buyer Blinder Bell Architects is responsible for the design, which consists of two 22-story buildings that are connected by a breezeway and a private landscape courtyard. In an effort to fit into the other buildings in the neighborhood, the architects used brick, metal, and glass for the facade, a saltwater swimming pool, a 24-hour doorman, and steam room are among the building's amenities. In a surprise move, the Durst organization is partnering with the nonprofit trade group Greater New York Hospital Association in a bid to become one of five licensed medical marijuana growers in New York State. Woo! May I say. <laughs> the application process for companies to fill five slots to legally grow and sell marijuana in the state closed last week. Medical marijuana is, 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 is legal in 20 other states, but until recently, major, many major hospital institutions have avoided getting involved in the distribution as the drug is still listed as a Schedule One substance by the Food and Drug Administration. I just find the Durst organization's involvement quite amazing. Yeah, uh, interesting, yeah, I should say. I would expect for that. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Rents in both Manhattan and Brooklyn continue to increase in May with the unflagging economy and tight mortgage conditions paving the way for landlords to hike their rates according to the new monthly rental market report from Douglas Elliman released last Thursday. The median rental price in Manhattan was $3380, $3380, up 2.4% from the same period last year, and in Brooklyn the median price was $2933, that up 4.8% from last year. A faulty connection between two Con Edison gas pipes and a hole in a nearby sewer main are mostly to be blamed for last year's fatal gas explosion in East Harlem that mm. killed eight and injured 50. We've reported this on the show many times. But the blast and subsequent five-story uh, fire destroyed, rather, a two-story 
apartment building at 1644 and 1646 Park Avenue. This, according to the New York Times, the explosion took place in March of 2014 and destroyed multiple buildings in the area. It also closed down the nearby Metro North commuter line station. Hundreds of lawsuits were filed against the city following the blast. It's a good thing that they at least found out what the cause of that blast was. And uh, architect Carrie Tamarkin's plan for a school-to-condo conversion on the Upper West Side received approval from Landmarks Preservation Commission this week. Thank God. The commission had um, previously expressed concern about a rooftop penthouse addition at 555 West End Avenue, a former Catholic school on the corner of West 87th Street, according Uh to Curb. But Tamarkin's new proposal for a reduced height addition got the thumbs up finally, along with alterations that will move the mechanicals to a courtyard rather than on the roof. Tamarkin bought the property from the Archdiocese of New York for $50 million late last year and is planning to convert it to 17 apartments. And finally, this is a sad story, West, the local friendly restaurant on Broadway and 83rd Street, will close its doors this month. Co-founder Tom Valente told the staff last week that end could come as soon as this week. Valente told the Times that the lease was up and that the neighborhood has changed too much. He said, quote, we used to get the artists, writers, intellectuals, performers on a regular basis, but a lot of those Upper West Side old-timers, people like Sidney Lamette, are long gone, and the new people in these big apartments have different interests. Wow. West has been around for 14 years. It served nouveau American food and New York Magazine called it appealing enough to shatter the misconception that there is a lack of worthy places to eat on the Upper West Side. So sad indeed. But as we move along in this town, things change, especially on the restaurant scene. Everything changes and everything comes and goes. Anyway, good morning, everybody. Good, good morning. morning, Vincent. How was your morning, weekend, Vince. sir? My weekend was very good, thank you. Very did you work, busy. work, work, or I, did you hang? Well, I did a little bit of both, but I worked, work, worked all day Sunday, which is fine. All you know, right. it is what it is. This is cool. our business. Yeah. So we have a special guest today. Um, he is a 23-year-old native New Yorker. He's street smart. He's an aerial photographer, which I, I want to ask him a bunch of questions about, and a bike messenger with a passion and devotion to our city's history. Cooper Ray knows the city's architectural history, why buildings are built as they were, and I want to ask – and I want him rather to explain to us from his point of view tidbits of some of the more famous top architects of our day, but more importantly – his perspective on the disappearance of the old New York and what our skyscraper is becoming today. So good morning, Cooper. How are you? And thank you for being here with us on Good Morning New York. Hi, thank you for having me, Vince. I'm great this morning. Yeah? Yeah. Cool. Happy to be here. So by the way, just for everybody out there, the name sounds familiar. Cooper is the son of Ivy Ray, our esteemed panelist here at Good Morning New York. And so we welcome both of you once again. So Cooper, you know, as a young guy, you seem to have a passion for New York like no other. You've studied our history, which most people don't do, and you know our architecture. You know, why does all of this intrigue you so much as a young man in New York City when there are so many other things that, you know, people get involved in? Well, you know, actually I haven't actually haven't studied any art history. Um a lot a lot of why I'm into the architecture and what surrounds me is what it's what we interact with on a daily basis. I've always been curious as to well, you're in a certain building, you're in a certain space, you just you feel a certain way. Intrinsically you you're you're relaxed or you're anxious or you hear something through the walls or it's very it's very solid, like it's substantial. You know, I I always ask myself those questions, like, well, why do I feel a certain way in these spaces? And being a being a bicycle messenger uh, gave me a much broader scope of uh, of architecture in New York and just interacting with it on a daily basis. 
That's interesting. So, but but what actually does inspire you? For example, when you are in these spaces and you feel something about a different or particular architecture in a in a particular building, what what's so inspiring to you? About well, it's. That? I mean, it, I do agree. New York is quite unusual from an architectural perspective. But what inspires you to do that? It's it's really the uh, the appreciation of craft that goes into the buildings that created the majority of the New York skyline. You know, if you if you look at the the majority of New York development, you know, through from the turn of the twentieth uh, from the twentieth century through the twenty like the Roaring Twenties into the big boom of architecture that really built the majority of mm-hmm. the city, all of it is built in a very specific way that you just don't see construction built like that anymore. The built like buildings were. You had more money that went to paying the craftsmen who would create these buildings Mm. and as a result, you have a much higher quality building that just feels a certain way when you're inside of it. You can go into a stairwell of a building and see intricate iron – uh, intricate iron railings with hand carved wood handrails, and it just it was made to be experienced and to to be in as opposed to just built as a place to occupy well it 's interesting you say the roaring twenties because I believe i and i 've said this on the show many yeah. times i 'm stuck in the roaring twenties when, oh, yeah. <laughs> when it comes to architecture of buildings. I live in a pre war on the upper west side you can 't get any more twenties than that. I think my building was built in twenty seven twenty eight so I, I hear that, I relate to that, and I also feel the same way when I'm in those types of buildings compared to some of the new modern architecture that goes up today in these new swank condos, which I'm not a big fan of, but uh, I'll sell them, but I'm not a big fan <laughs> of, of living in them. So tell us, you know, tell us a little bit about what you know about New York City architecture. I mean, you didn't formally study the architecture and history. Is it, is it just your your sharp interpretation of, of, of feelings when you're in these buildings that have given you, you know, some inspiration to learn a little bit more about it, or is it something special about our architecture that really gets you? I think it's a combination of both. You know, it's my uh, it's, it's my it's it's me being curious about my experience of when you walk into certain buildings and you're just kind of taken back at how at how unique and how beautiful every every little coffer in the ceiling and how everything was everything was hand done and just the attention to detail and craft and and the buildings is incredible. Um, so compare that and contrast that for me. I, mean, I think we'll get to this a little later on. But when you go into these these more modern buildings, what do you think about that, or how do you feel about that? Well, you know, if if you if you look at New York uh, architecture, you know, it, through the through the late nineteenth century, through the early twentieth century, New York pioneered the skyscraper, the skyscraping office building. You know, we had you had you know simultaneous building in Chicago and New York. And you had like, you know, Chicago School of Architecture and Burnham and Root and these guys who really, you know, figured out how to create like a steel supported structure. And you started right. to be able to build over six stories. Mm-hmm. And then the elevator came along and you had this crazy wave of development through the 1860s, 70s and 80s, uh, which all of that is largely gone, by the way. It was all since demolished. You could build a city with what, you know, what was demolished in lower Manhattan. Mm. Um I think the history of the development of the skyscraper is is beautiful. It's romantic. It, it it's it's a coalescence between an architect who has vision and an engineer who wants to see it happen. And it's it's there's heart and passion and drive in it. And you go into a, a new condominium development, 
and it just lacks vision. There's there's nothing taken into consideration. There aren't even the craftsmen who can create the kind of things that were done before, nor even if there were, would anyone want to take away from what their bottom line would be to create the developments. And even if you have people like Robert A.M. Stern, for example, who try to be in this light of, you know, oh, we're going to spend more money on limestone facade and, you know, make it look a certain way and have this you know, appeal to to be like what the old buildings were, it's just not. It's just it's just garbage. It, it's it's not. He's tried to capture or recapture the pre-war feel with his limestone fronts and some of these buildings like 15 CPW and you walk past it, you may feel like it's an old world building, but it really isn't. And, you know, to the unassuming eye, it, it, for all intents and purposes, it is because people don't really – people don't really know well, that's unless why. you interact with and experience the buildings all the time. I think the prime example of that is the new 30 Park Place downtown, which is mm-hmm. going to be the it's the tallest residential building downtown now. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be a Four Seasons Hotel and it's built literally at the foot of the Woolworth building, which is it, – it's insulting. To have a you know have new construction just callously built floor by floor easily in this it's just engineered to be just a little taller and so easily. Where mm. if you look at what what went into building a building like the Woolworth Building, for example, which was almost twice as tall as anything else that was built during the time, Magnificent paid building. all in cash, no expense spared, and to spite the lending company who wouldn't give him. Wouldn't give him the money to build his building. He said, "Oh well, you know." So the Metropolitan Life Insurance Company, for example, their tower was built in 1911 on 24th and Madison, which was also just recently converted to a hotel. Absolutely, I was just there. I know, but very, very um, modern. (laughs) Very. They even changed the lights on the top. I know, ugly green and listen. Anyway, I I walk into my building every day, which is a which is it's crazy how this just like goes over people's heads and they eat it up. It's like really people don't pay attention. Yeah, they do. (laughs) They do. But I walk into my building just to a point you made before. I walk into my building every night when I come home and I live in a pre-war as I said and I look up and I look at the ceiling and I look mm. at the moldings. Mm. This is not wood moldings. These are these are crafted you know, plaster moldings yeah. from craftsmen as you mentioned before. And I always say and I think you just mentioned it too. You can't – I mean you can't replicate these buildings anymore. You can't no. build these buildings anymore. The, I don't know how they paid for them in the past but you also don't have the craftsmen to pull that off. And to do that kind of work, and well, it just doesn't happen. It's it's also a lens into the time for what people's values were. You know, if you look at if you look at an old building and the, the actual detail and what was put into the, the the craft that was put into the detail work, right? There's no way that they would have it done cheaply. It would be insulting to whoever built the building. They wouldn't see it happen, and everyone would look at look at it like, well, "What is this garbage? Are they kidding?" But now it's uh, it's it's very commonplace, and I feel like people don't really pay attention to that sort of thing. They don't. To, let's hold. To, to go back to the point I was just making. Let, let, about, hold, hold the thought okay. one second. We have to go to break. You are listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. We will be right back. Don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. 
put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we're back. We're talking to Cooper Ray, who has a, a fascination and an interest and a, an extreme knowledge of our history and architecture uh, here in New York. You know, I understand that you also photograph a lot of what old New York uh, is about. Tell us about that. How do you do that? Because I've heard some extraordinary stories from your mom. Uh, <laughs> you can either <laughs> oh, divulge sure. your, your secrets or not, but Perhaps I'm fascinated. Perhaps more extraordinary than what my actual experience may be. <laughs> oh, 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 oh. <laughs> no, knowing this, I Through Ray. the lens of a mother. <laughs> Yeah, right. Actually, Cooper, I don't need to embellish anything you do. No, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. You know? But no, <laughs> fairly <laughs> said. <laughs> yeah, no, fairly said. But what you're up to is, is speaks for itself. Well, tell us about it. Yeah. Um, so, and tell us more importantly why you do it. Go ahead. So I, I, I grew up in New York City. I grew up specifically in Manhattan, moving around a lot. Um, you know, a lot of one-year leases, two-year leases, uh, divorced parents. You know, you, you, you get to see a lot of the city. Um, I got on a bike at a pretty young age and the bike connected the city for me. It gave me a perspective of New York to where you're able to – instead of – Get on the train from the three block radius of your house to you know the five or ten block radius of your office and know the city from point to point and where you operate. I was able to connect every neighborhood and how they all fit together, and more importantly, I began to pay attention to the buildings and how the architecture would change from neighborhood to neighborhood. Uh, I started working as a bike messenger about four years ago and it just clicked. I, I started to be able to go inside of and experience all of these buildings and got a much larger scope of what New York is and feels like um, on an, in an architectural sense. Um, but what I soon realized um, is that New York is – I mean if you look back in New York's history, New York has always changed. New York has always been in perpetual development. It's just its just the nature of the place. There's limited space. It's an island. That's how tall buildings came to be to begin with. You Correct. needed to build upwards. You couldn't build <laughs> outwards. Correct. You know, this is an effect of living on an island. Limited space. Um, uh, but I, I began to see a, a trend of what's happening with, uh, with new development, specifically high-end residential development and – Seeing, read, reading a little bit about into the numbers and the pricing 
of what these new residential developments, uh, what they are, and how I would think how really just how inflated the prices are, especially in relation to the quality and architecture of the buildings. And if you look at the buildings, they're they're very honest. You know, mirrored glass facades, uh, exceptionally tall, taking advantage of every every drop of floor area ratio they can and you know developers would spend you know a decade more than a decade acquiring buildings around where their development sites were to be able to transfer air rights to build these buildings and it reminded what what we're going through right now reminded me of the fervorous development of the 1920s and the teens into the 20s and like the original skyscraper race but instead of in a light of uh, in in this uh, you know success and of of New York City and like uh, all of the uh, of companies in New York City and being built for commerce and for 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 demand, these are being built with uh, you know kind of an in lavish of a place to, for lack of a better term, I believe, a place to park your money, and if you can if you can fund these buildings anonymously. It's mm. it really causes an issue, and then, so and, I need and to. People are. I feel I feel obligated to to photograph the development of this going on, and I want to bring some light to this topic. Tell us how you do that. Um, you know, you 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 see a lot as a as a bike messenger, and you you get to understand the inner workings of buildings, whether it's a commercial building, a residential building. You understand how to flow within the city. Um, now, whether I'm working or not, I can look up a company in a building, pretend to have a delivery there, or maybe I do have a delivery there, and I can I can get up in the building, and maybe I have a view from an office, or maybe I research a specific building where I want to go, and I find my way to a place where I have a vantage point. Now, is it safe to assume that you always travel with a camera just in case you you come across you know a, a spectacular piece of a building or a building in general that you want to photograph? Always, always have a camera, usually more than two. With you? Uh-huh. I shoot, I shoot everything on film as well. So there is a need for multiple cameras, whether it's for, uh, you know, color, black and white film or different film speeds. Um, it's kind of a, it, I feel like what I'm documenting and what I'm shooting in New York deserves to be shot in an archival format. And what do you do with this, with this, um, these photos that you capture or these videos that you capture, do you have a plan to put it in a book someday? Are you planning a movie someday? What are you doing with all this? Uh, I shoot photographs. I don't shoot any video. Okay. Um, unless they're snippets of me you know, cutting in between traffic and buses while I'm riding just for fun. Um, but At a very high rate of speed probably. Yeah, oh, usually God. pretty fast. I'm mm. probably that guy that you hate. That's riding by you very fast, and you coming out of know. a taxi cab, and you open the door, and somebody's zipping right by you. Right. Well, if you open the door while I'm coming by, I'm probably going to slam it back in your face because <laughs> you should look where you're going before you open the door. <laughs> yeah. But um, very true. <laughs> uh, the, the the point, the whole intention with me shooting uh, what I'm shooting, and it's sort of it's evolved as I learn more and as my just as i as i keep shooting and as i keep experiencing and learning more about the the changing landscape of uh, real estate in new york um the intention is a book 
at the end of uh, – I, I don't necessarily know when it will happen and then it will unfold itself as my photography begins to unfold itself more. But I actively print a lot of my photography in the darkroom. So I have prints. Um, but it's to, it's to show and catalog the development that's going on in New York on a global scale. In, within New York City, not global in terms of globalism right. in the world, but global is t- in terms of New York City because I'm everywhere in the city every day. I'm usually in the same neighborhood – in multiple neighborhoods of New York multiple times a day. I see things on a daily basis. Do you have a favorite neighborhood being in multiple different neighborhoods every um, every day? I mean I do as a, as a real estate agent. I'm all over the place and I do have my favorite areas. Um, it depends on what I'm thinking – what I would like about a neighborhood but in general um, – it's probably a tie between the financial district and Flatiron. Um, I love the uh, I love the uniformity at Flatiron. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's it's largely untouched uh, in terms of redevelopment. It's pretty well preserved. It's just it's gorgeous. Mm-hmm. Um, I also really enjoy the garment district for that reason as well. And, and for it was sure. made yeah, for and it was made for a purpose. You know, all of those buildings are are. Very similar style Art Deco buildings, or some of them are Gothic, mm-hmm. but they're all big concrete floored loft buildings. Mm-hmm. It's also very easy to sneak around the Garment District, uh, get on rooftops, or you know, and fire towers of buildings. I'm not sure if you're familiar, but older buildings have what are called fire towers or fire stairs, where you open one door. I remember the first time I found this out as a messenger by trying to take the stairs. You open a door. And it has no handle on the other side, Correct. but it opens up into an open airspace, either right. an air shaft or if you're lucky, you know, 30 or 40 stories up the side of a skyscraper with a big hole in the side of the building. And seeing, seeing the city from that sort of perspective, like looking down at a common place maybe you pass by every day mm-hmm. then seeing it from four or 500 feet in the air mm-hmm. is it's pretty incredible. It really gives you a sense of scale. And if you're nearby one of these new buildings that are going up, they're way out of scale. And that's kind of indicative of the money that's going into them. Well, they are yeah. because I think now <laughs> today it's all about being the tallest and the biggest and the brightest and the and the glassiest or whatever you want to call it. But it, oh, it's God, you see the new Bjark Ingels Two World Trade Center design? No. It's fucking hideous. Really? It I have not like, seen it. It looks like a bunch of stacked boxes. Made of glass. Well, there's a lot of that going on in, ew, in a ew, lot of the neighborhoods. Not even, me. not even like uh, you know, setting back. It literally looks like a bunch of boxes piled yeah. on top of themselves. Do you have getting a- rid of the beautiful Norman Foster design, which was kind of mm-hmm. like the anchor of the whole site as well? It's hideous. Correct. Do you have a favorite architect at all as you've gone through? And I'm, we're talking about you know old time architects and the old buildings, residential and certainly commercial, or some of these new people you know coming out today with. These new boxy kind of designs. Is there anybody who stands out for you more than anybody else? You know, to be completely honest, I don't know too many architects. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just not something I, I follow with. I more so know architecture by either its architectural style mm-hmm. or its period and time in which it was built. And that's very indicative of what, how the building was constructed, um, why it was constructed. I, I know. I'll know everything about a building, what year it was built, why it was built, who the original tenant was, who, who, what the company was that commissioned the building and why. And you can see details of that in the buildings themselves. And I feel like a lot of the architects uh, you know, in, in the bygone era of where uh, expense of craft um, 
you know, superseded the the actual just need to build a building and to 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 build something. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I guess I'm partial to uh, Castle Bear just because of the the incredible scale and vision that he he had with you know the Woolworth building. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I enjoy the romanticism behind the stories of how these old buildings were built. You know Definitely. what I was saying before about uh, the story behind the Woolworth building. You know, his uh, Frank Woolworth was trying to get a a, lead, uh, a mortgage from the Metropolitan Life Insurance Company, and this this is when they just had completed their tallest building in the world in 1911, and they refused to give him a mortgage to build the building. So he said to Castle Bear. Well, Castle Bear said to Frank Woolworth, "Well, how tall do you want the building? I don't care. Make it taller than the make it taller than the Metropolitan Life Tower. Well, how much taller? Make it as tall as you can, like no expense uh, spared, and uh, paid all in cash. And doesn't that continue no to expense happen? Spared. I, I I hear you, but but doesn't that really happen today with these architects? I mean, you know, they still want to best the next one. They still want to be the tallest and the best. Now, I will it give does. you the Woolworth Building. In my opinion, is probably one of the the more spectacular buildings." In this city and downtown and wherever, but yeah. but you know I see it all today. Everybody wants to be the tallest on on one fifty seven West fifty seventh Street, the tallest. Now all of a sudden four thirty two Park Avenue. Yeah, is but if taller. you look at like uh, Rafael Vignoli's design of four thirty two Park, it's just correct. It's just tall for the sake of being tall. It doesn't present. Let me finish. That's my point. It doesn't present itself. It doesn't have strength in how it cascades upward. It doesn't hold its own weight. It's just, it's just there. It's just big. It's just tall. It's just the. It's just more money, more vertical space. It's just occupying space. It's not presenting its space. It's not demanding its space. One hundred percent. Listen, which is the real difference between architecture of new and old? Is the are the newer architects? I was taught a good friend of mine and a person who kind of put the the bug in my ear about uh, attention to detail and craft. His name is Jay Murdoch. He's uh, he graduated from Cooper Union School of Architecture, and we have a lot of existential conversations about this. And what he said to me is that the real problem today is that architects lack vision. You don't have a single architect or even a group of architects who sit down and and draw a building. It's all designed, and there's you know people. They feel like there's so much back and forth and criticism about what goes on into design, and there's this whole. It's it's just not the same. It's not what it. It's not what it could be. I hear you. Unfortunately, we are out of time. Uh, if any of you want to follow um, Cooper, you can watch him. Uh, you can follow him rather on Instagram at Coffee and Bikes. That's Coffee and Bikes, or his website is Cooper Ray. Dot NYC. Cooper, thank you so much for your insight on old and new New York City. We mm-hmm. appreciate it and come back and talk to us again. We have to go to break and we'll be back right after these messages. Don't go away. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. 
put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we, we are back again. Once uh, once again, I want to say thank you to Cooper Ray, uh, giving us a nice insight on New York City uh, from his vantage point. So did you know that since 1908, Central Park has appeared in over 240 feature films, therefore making it the most filmed public park in the world? And also, New York City has a population of over 8 million people. This represents more than one-third of the entire state's population. So two little bits of tidbit uh, about New York City that I found fascinating as I was researching this week. So we are here with uh, Rachel Altschuler, Phil Horrigan, Ivy Ray, and Deborah Hoffman. Uh, hello, everybody, and thank you for being Good here with morning. us today. Hello. And Cooper Ray is here with us as well. So I just how once is again, thank you for having me on the show. This You're is, welcome. Uh, this is fun. Please join in when you feel you would like to going forward. So what's going on this week, guys? Anything new? Hmm. Mm. My my famous my famous Tuesday morning question. So, how was open house this past weekend? I didn't have any. Okay, I did, and it was kind of quiet. Yeah, it's interesting. Our it was a little is- quiet. It was a little quiet this week for me. I'm sure you you all know what this is like. We are battling managing agents. <laughs> That's part of our job. I still say we're going to do a whole show on managing agents because I have uh, – you know, it's so funny because every week I have another managing agent story and I just, you know, I can fill a book. We can fill, fill up an entire day just on that for the show. Yeah, yeah. For those people out there um, in in the hinterlands who don't understand what a managing agent is, here in New York City, buildings <laughs> are all managed by a group of people, a management company called Managing Agents. And, you know, they do everything – from uh, you know, hire and fire building staff and run buildings and and people pay maintenance charges to them, so they're needed in the city. But sometimes, as agents working with them to get deals done within buildings, it oftentimes becomes a little difficult. Back to the uh, yeah, the and they are the liaison between the boards, the co-op and the condo boards, and the broker slash seller and buyer. So when you don't have a seamless flow of communication, it really does affect all parties involved. Yes. Sounds like you're having a tough time there, Cookie. <laughs> I love you, Ivy. You totally. It's just, you know, when they're bad, they're really bad. And this one particular one has not responded to the seller, the buyer, and both attorneys in a week and a half. 
Let's say her name. But but Rachel, <laughs> let me ask you a question. What stage of the deal are you at that they haven't responded? Because you know there are various stages of deals here, and they're that all important. That is a but, perfect question, Vince, because the contract has been out, and the buyer will only sign once this one specific question is answered. No way. One question, and many people at a managing agent, and we can't get someone to oh, respond. Oh, yeah, let's give the company and the name. Come on. You know, maybe <laughs> this has happened to me before. Unfortunately, maybe the managing agent doesn't know the answer and doesn't know who to go to. Very true. And doesn't, doesn't, want, to let, and doesn't want to let anybody know yeah. they don't know. Yeah, it has, no, She knows the answer, and okay. she doesn't want to do it. It's, it's writing a letter confirming this piece of information. And so yesterday, last night, she finally agreed to do the letter. And apparently did not read the emails in the past week and a half. She had thought it was something else when really we just needed a letter. So it's communication is such a big part of our job. And I think that's what makes a great broker. It comes back to the panel and what we talk about. It's yeah. keeping the communication, keeping the conversation going is probably the most important part of our job. Mm-hmm. I, I couldn't agree with you more, and I think one of the more frustrating parts, even beyond the attorney frustration sometimes, is managing agents, and uh, I'm currently in the middle of several of those myself. And it's so it, – you know, it always seems – everybody wants to pick on just one or two, but I have to tell you something. It's really all of them, and I use capital letters and underscore every word, all of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Some of them more, you know, well, more than others, but, you know, they're really all bad. Anyway, moving on. This I thought was kind of interesting, and I didn't send it out with the prep material this week, but it's, it's, it's kind of interesting. So a few short years after voicemail was developed in the late 1970s, I laugh because I remember first using it back in the 80s. It quickly became an essential business tool, but in the last few years, its use has been in decline, and some corporate offices have opted to get rid of it altogether, and it seems to be paying off. And I didn't want to mention some of the company names that have – gone and gotten rid of voicemail, but you'd be shocked at who they are. Like the payphone and pager before it, voicemail is on its way out. Voicemail has lost its appeal primarily because it's a very antiquated way of receiving messages, and the timing of message receipt oftentimes is not good. You see a lot more people working on collaboration technologies where you can share and exchange information in a more social media-like context. Now, with all the that push to emails or text, workers are more responsive to clients and can reply during or in between meetings or actually no matter where you are. So I think the demise of voicemail in, is part of a general shift away from the more formal communication in all those forms. I, well, I'm going to give you my opinion in a minute. So my question is if we get rid of voicemail altogether – is the best way to reach someone then on Twitter, Facebook, instant messages, text, whatever. Can now, I don't throw hold, up? hold on one minute because don't forget now, <laughs> we all have these devices in our hands. I mean, 24 by 7, and I say this on the air almost every week, I sleep with mine. So, who needs voicemail? Um, ooh, I, I do think <laughs> that voicemail is becoming less um, important. Like, for example, I now on my voicemail, if you call me at Corcoran, um, it'll say, Please don't leave a message here. I don't check it as much. I'm checking my email every five minutes, but I'm not right. checking my voicemail. When someone calls and leaves a message, it takes what? 
the rings five times. They leave a message. That whole thing is a few minutes. Then for me to check the messages, I, I dial in. I dial. It takes another five minutes, right? So, and often it's just a question of is that apartment still available? That was the question they wanted to ask. So that whole thing is an inefficiency of say ten minutes. When meanwhile they could send a three second email and I could respond back in three seconds. Now this isn't saying that voice and communicating and you know is is not important, of course, but there are for certain tasks. I do think, especially in real estate, it's so much more efficient to just do things over email. Well, this is what I wanted to get at because I'm asking the question to us as real estate agents because everybody has a different opinion about every form of communication. But I can go back to the 80s and when I was working at IBM and we used to sell voicemail as one of our software application packages and we were one of the first (laughs) corporations to use voicemail. And I remember – we had this huge meeting on a Monday morning and everybody said, we're going to get voicemail. And I said, what the hell is that? And so on and on and on. And I remember thinking, you know what? I like coming back from lunch or having being paged by the receptionist saying that I have a message. I'd go out and pick up my little pink slip with the person's name and phone number on it. I was easily able to manage that. Now I'm thinking, so now I have something talking to me out of my phone. My boss can call me 24 hours a day. This one can bug me 24 hours a day, blah, 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 blah. I don't want to take the time to deal with that. You know, of course, I got on board with it and I used voicemail like everybody else has over the last 20 or 30 years or whatever, but I hated it. Mm. I still hate it. Mm. Oh, I do not have it in my office. I only use my cell phone for voicemail and I don't even like that. So for me personally, I don't want somebody yapping in my ear because when you, mm-hmm. when you, when you leave mess, when people leave messages for you, it goes on and on and on for 20 minutes. You can say two yeah, words and get the same answer. Mm-hmm. I don't care about how somebody's feeling. I don't want to hear about what they have to say. <laughs> Nothing. Give me what you need. Yeah. Send it to me in an email. Send it to me in a text. I hear you. If yeah. you could, if you could train people as to how to be concise, well, and but you to can't. Not That's emote, the problem. You and to can't. leave there. But I, I, all I want to say, and I, I think it's a dangerous. I will go on a limb and say dangerous pointer that we're going to enter the era. Where you cannot talk and leave a message. And I understand all of the reasons from every perspective as to why this would be a choice. But I think, you know, and having said that, I control my world. So if I'm meeting new customers and I simply say to them, I don't do text unless it's an emergency, you send me an initial email and we're not going to work unless you meet me in person. I need to hear your voice. I need to read oh, your absolutely. body. Yes. I need to be together. So yeah. I am old school and I get to carve my own life. Having said that, but I think that the point of taking it away is just well, it's a sign of the times, Ivy. The world is flying by. Yeah. You know. It's also generational, I find, because I have found I'm – Vince and I are basically about the same age and I never really liked voicemail. But so many times in the last – over a year, I would say, I've gotten all kinds of calls and I recognize some of the calls. No one leaves a message. When I call them back and say, why didn't you leave a message? They say, oh, you saw I called. Yeah, and isn't that all these people oh, are under – and I have to tell you though, every single one of these people are under 35 and I think that's why people are getting rid of this. Or my husband who's my age does not own a phone. He says, email me. That's the I'm, – I'm on my email just like Phil. I'm on my email all the time. I will get you for emergency numbers for doctors. I, I can't put his number down. I have to put his email down. I do, I do think it is a generation a generational thing. You know, all if you call somebody, you know they're going to see your missed call. If they see you, maybe they call you back. I mean, I'm I'm 23, for example. I know you saw it. But if, even if you saw it, maybe you don't call me back. I'll just call you back again. 
I'd much rather talk to someone on the phone than have to deal with a, like a, a book of text messages or a string of emails. Yeah. It's uh, For me, it's so much easier to talk to somebody. I was going to add to what Cooper said is that – so while voicemail I don't find is that efficient, I do think at certain parts in a real estate deal, for example, I, and I always tell people that I'm mentoring – you need to talk about this. This is not something you should go back and forth over text. Yep. So I will yep. say, <laughs> let's speak. Absolutely. And that Absolutely. is so critical to make. So here we're talking Absolutely. about So you, voicemail is, is a little different, but speaking, no, that we should never get rid of. That yes. is critical. Okay, so that, that's perfect, and that's what I wanted to get at, and I agree with what Cooper said also. So the thing is when I say I hate voicemail, I don't want to – be doing deals or having conversation over voicemail, I would rather you say, yes. hey, Vince, it's important yes. that you give me a call back. Yes. Let's continue the conversation. Right. Or text me and say, when are you free to talk? That's right. yes. Because I agree. That's if you start right. cutting off talking That's and communication, right. oh then you're up I against like a whole bunch of I feel like a lot of the social media, a lot of different ways to reach out to people, whether it's you know, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all these different means that you can now communicate online, it creates uh, inaccountability. So like me personally, I don't really like email. I don't really communicate via email, but I also don't really need to communicate that much via email. People that know me, they call me. I talk to them. We talk. If if someone is more dependent on text messaging or communicating via social media, it's but then you call or they they you call them after you read something they say and they don't answer and then you get a text from them. That's the worst thing. It's it's like this it's yeah. like this escape route where people yeah. don't really want to talk. And I feel yeah. like that's that's it's a really a, big yeah, issue absolutely. in the age of right. information. And yeah. people do people do hide behind email and people do hide behind text. Oh, yeah. Sometimes when they don't want to say something to you or it's a little more difficult or and then you meet up with them and they have whatever. their face in the ground and they can't look you in the eye. It's yeah. like who who and are you? you? Believe Cooper, you're that- you're very inspiring because you are a young man, as you said, twenty three years old, but you're very different than most other because when I do communicate with people your age, it is only on text because <laughs> that's their their communication vehicle of choice. That's all, you, if you call them, they oh, won't that's answer. Terrible. That's the they person only want to do with be. Text. You know, I see that in my generation, and it makes me want to be the opposite. Well, of you that. are. And I feel like there are there are people that are my age who do feel this way. But, they do. You know, the majority is is, is not that, and it's a, it's kind of a scary thing. All right, we're out of time. We got to take a break. We are coming right back. You are listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. Don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U RealtyGroup.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco 
at bluerealtygroup.com. That's V Rocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, we're back, everybody. I'm talking to Rachel Altschuler, Phil Horrigan, Deborah Hoffman, Ivy Ray, and our guest today, Cooper Ray. So here's another one, guys. A community board committee reviewed the 39 city bike stations that the Department of Transportation proposed the Upper West Side and has found 10 that may have to be moved. The committee also was calling on the city to come up with plans to add a northbound protected bike lane to the neighborhood to accommodate the influx of bicyclists. <laughs> the neighborhood's only protected lane uh, right now on the Upper West Side is on Columbus Avenue, and that goes south. Meanwhile, many residents in town are very resistant to these bikes and all the new bike lanes and all the new, you know, talk about adding more bikes, et cetera, et cetera. So, I mean, I know this is a very touchy topic. You got it. And I know it's changed the landscape in a lot of our, you know, areas around town. But, guys, what is going on with these city bikes? I, th- I think that if, if you don't mind me chiming Go in ahead. on this. I mean, I'm a bike messenger. I've been riding bikes in the city for almost 10 years. I've watched this whole infrastructure take place, um, you know, many years before the, the bike share program got put into place. Um, what, what, what they have is a, what they call a protected bike lane. There's definitely pros and cons to them. I mean, it's a whole, it's a whole ploy. I think more so not for the safety of bikes, but to help out with the city's Vision Zero, to create a 25 mile an hour global speed limit around the city. And what they do is create infrastructure in the city to basically funnel the volume of traffic into a smaller space. So they're forced to go slower. 25 miles an hour on a bike. No, on, no, in no traffic. Oh, on traffic. Okay, you thank can go you. much faster than twenty-five on a bike okay. in the city. Yeah, well. um, honestly, <laughs> you gotta be careful. Don't 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 I ride in a right don't ride in a protected bike lane, and you won't get right. hit by a car. Um, <laughs> so, uh, protected bike lanes, in my opinion, are quite dangerous, especially in densely populated areas. It's a space that is any space, as you know, as a New Yorker, any open space is free game. You see a space, you double park in it. You see a space as a pedestrian, you walk in it. In the Garment District, for example, on 8th Avenue, that is the most dangerous bike lane in the city. You have garment racks, people, uh, carts, everything you can possibly imagine. As a novice riding a bicycle in the city, if you ride in a protected bike lane, you are going to get doored, walked into – Everything left and right. It's incredibly dangerous. And then if you try to ride in the street, which is actually the safest place to ride, as a bike, you have the full right as a bicycle to take up a lane. You are considered a motor vehicle on a bicycle. But if you ride in the street, if you take up a lane, those drivers aren't going to be happy because there's a protected bike lane next to you. So there's this pressure to ride in the lane, and then all the drivers are angry at you. Before the bike lanes, the city flowed well. Yeah. You yeah. were able to be safer because there was more space to operate. And well, this is, for, but for this is what I'm yes. getting at because well, I, 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 I agree with that. And I the other problem I see with protected bike lanes is – and we have it right outside this building by the way. And I've seen so many people get clipped by a bike because – Pedestrians just think that oh, that's just like an, an area that I can walk freely without oh, looking right or left. Phone, they stop. They I call de- it I call it the retard zone. You know, it's like well, you have all these people well. on your cell phones, all this inattention to what's going mm-hmm. on around you. So, what do you do to help out with people not paying attention on their cell phones? Give them more open space to not be hit by vehicles. Right? Mm-hmm. Pedestrian plazas. All pedestrian plazas are is like an overflow over the sidewalk for people not paying attention. In the older New York. 
If you walked into the street, you're probably going to get hit by a car beeped at immediately. But you're not going to walk into the street because you're looking where you're going. Mm-hmm. Everyone's glued to their screens. You know, you, I agree no, that's with Cooper a terrible thing. 100%. And as someone who not only walks in the city every day but drives in the city all every day, I watch out for those bicyclists who are taking up a lane because they are entitled. I agree with you. That is the law. When I got hit by two bicyclists, they were not messengers as we expect them to be, but they're not. No. They were not delivery guys. <laughs> they were local guys in the neighborhood going the wrong way on the bike lane Always. with the phone. Always. They're, dro- <laughs> they're on the bike with the phone. And then, and then the messengers get blamed for it. That's, well, yeah. actually, I, a lot of the, not the messengers, but a lot of the delivery people are going yeah. the wrong way. And I've never had a problem with a messenger, very honestly, and I'm very – tough on judging all this because but i i love the bikes but as a driver i do respect the bikes much more in a lane than in the bike lanes because they swerve in the bike lanes. i get that so yeah. so taking the safetyness out of yeah. out of the equation because of course you know you have to always be concerned on a bike or in a car about safety but mm-hmm. taking that out of the equation okay and i'm just playing devil's advocate I drive around neighborhoods and cars. I walk. I do whatever I'm doing and I see all of these ugly city bikes lined up rack after rack after oh, rack God. in front of beautiful oh, buildings. We didn't even talk about how they look yet. Well, that's what I'm getting at. I yeah. think it's horrendous and I think it's yeah. defacing the city and I am so against it and they all need to go away and yesterday isn't fast <laughs> enough. Well, if you think I'm about it, it goes with the whole trend of you know uh, big box stores and chain stores in New York as well. I agree. Yeah. So that, that takes away mm. the space of 100%. older businesses yeah. that have been there for a while and oh well, you, Citibank will pay whatever amount of money to put their name all over the city with these yeah, docks. That's right, and Thank they're in the you. middle of the street to go along with these protected bike lanes. It's I know, like and then whole, may we just add that we've got people on bikes during rush hour or not that haven't been on a bike in thirty years, and they're all like they don't know how to. You know, you know in their defense, though, they're actually they, yes, yeah. In people's defense on city bikes, I thought it was going to be a nightmare. You know, I've, uh, they're actually pretty good. Most people on city bikes, you know, those bikes are heavy enough, I rode them large yeah. enough. Yes. They, they, yeah, it's like it's like a truck, exactly, <laughs> like a boat. You know, you can't really. It's it's hard to to fuck up on one of those. But you know, that being said, but you, they're but learning. You, but you can. There's, pedestri- but- there's the difference between a a cyclist or a commuter or an urban rider and a pedestrian on a bicycle. Yeah. Yes. I'm just looking at the there's visual. A very so fine difference. Last year I was in Paris and I thought I'm getting out of this city and I'm forgetting about all these stupid bikes that are always in the way. You get to Paris and what does Paris have? Oh my god. A green version of city bikes all over the place. I know. And I huh. thought, you know what? If you want to ride a bike, I'm all for it. I like riding bikes. Get your own. Yeah. <laughs> and get off the streets with these ugly blue bikes. And anyway, I know you have to move on, but the one thing do. I'd like to say at some future show would be that the thing, if we're was while we're on the subject of transportation in New York City, I know Cooper would again, and likely all of you, that the issue has been what has happened to the main transports, what they've done structurally to the in, or to the infrastructure of New York City, in terms of building the parks in the middle of the streets and putting in the bike lanes. This is this what city I'm saying. Is a nightmare. Yeah, a mess. what they've done to to change the infrastructure of. Uh, it's Fundamentally, brutal. how the flow of the city works is so backwards, and it's cre- the legislation is created by people who don't really – who think they – exactly. They're not out there every day. They don't understand the implication of what they're doing in a functional sense, and it's destroyed the flow of the city. And yeah. it's actually very dangerous yeah. what they've done. Well, it's dangerous. Very dangerous. It's dangerous, but you walk right outside this building here on Broadway where we, we broadcast. I also happen to work. 
And it looks so beautiful as I'm arriving in the morning, getting out of a car service or, or taxi, whatever. It's just beautiful. But basically, when you're looking out the door, you have a lane, maybe a lane and a half. Everything else has been made into a park or protected bike lane or whatever else. And Broadway in the 50s is a very busy place for deliveries Truck deliveries, of food deliveries, as many restaurants and bars and whatever here. And at the end of the day, they're double parked trying to deliver their merchandise. And you're stuck in traffic because someone decided oh, yeah. we need to make this look like a park. Yeah. And it looks awful. So, so you need to bike to yeah, work. So you have. And not drive. <laughs> and there you go. Well, no, no. That being anyway. said, not even about on a commuting level, on an infrastructural level, on a business level, you have a lot of traffic in New York every day. You have commercial traffic. You have things that keep the city moving. Deliveries, uh, FedEx, UPS, Postal, whatever it is, box trucks, everything. Everything. So St. Avenue has three or four lanes of traffic, right? Well, let's take away an entire lane, right? Now, there's going to be a truck that double parks in the three lanes anyway. So now you have two lanes. But if you only have three lanes to begin with and a truck double parks, then you have two lanes. It just – it funnels the traffic in a way that creates – a serious lack of flow. In the words of Vince Rocco, it is completely out of control. There you go. With that said, we are (laughs) completely out of time. That's Good Morning New York for this week. We are back next Tuesday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific Time Live. You can always catch the show later in the day on podcast or anytime on our website, voiceamerica.com. For all of us here at Voice America all around the world, thanks for joining me, and I will see you next time. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones. 